Hey y'all, it's your mother. I won't bore you this week with a, like a life catch up or whatever. I'll just say things are going pretty good. I think that I'm emotionally recovering from the holidays being over, but um, we're just going to keep moving. That's my motto for this year. Keep moving. Instead of a resolution, we're just going to live by that motto. Keep on moving. Just keep swimming. I am back in school in pursuit of my master's for behavior analysis. It's taken me way too long because I keep like taking breaks and taking time off, but now I'm back and we just gonna keep moving. So it's gonna be even harder now to be your mystery mother, but I really wanna do it, so. I'll, I'll be here for you. As always, if you haven't followed me on Instagram or TikTok, let's get on it. Let's get it going. Go find the TikTok. Go find Far Out Gaming on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And if for nothing else, it's just to show your support. I had started writing an episode for the um, Idaho college students. But then, like, some new stuff, like, new stuff just kept coming out. So I think I'm going to sit on that one for a minute so I can, like, really give you the the full rundown side note me and my husband have been planning like trips that we want to go on this year and i'm just so excited there's gonna be a lot of them i think find somebody who you want to travel with because traveling's hard and he makes it so fun i went to the grocery store earlier and i just had the best time it just reminded me of how much i love living in North Carolina because everybody was like I talked to so many people everybody was just like so nice and just wanted to talk and wanted I had my baby with me and of course they wanted to see the baby and then everybody was just having so much fun and everybody was really nice to each other that's aside from the fact that I had like a couple people wave at me and I love when people wave at me in the car and I love to wave back at them a couple weeks ago I was driving and this old man had a, pulled up a white little white chair in his yard and was waving like hard at people that pass by. My dogs are going crazy. And I just, I just wanted to stop and give him a hug. And I haven't seen him out since. So I thought about writing a letter and putting it in his mailbox and saying, you know, I pass by here a couple times a day and I'd really love it if you'd come outside and wave at me again because it made my whole year. And it sucks when people give you the finger, you know, not the bad finger, but the, the wave finger on the steering wheel. And I feel so bad when I, if I don't catch it in time or I don't see it and I'm like, I'm sorry. I want to roll down my window and love you. I'm doing it again. Sorry. I wanted to throw in another reminder about self-love because I've been on a self-love journey for as long as I can remember and I'm, I'm really working at it. And, um, you know, at the end of the episode, at the end of every episode, I tell you, you know, you're beautiful and I love you. And I really do mean that. Okay. And I say it because I want you to believe it too, but also if you've not heard it in a while or you've, you know, you just need to hear it, you're hearing it from me and that makes me feel good. So, um, I, I do think that you're beautiful and I love you. And so we just need to be a little kinder 
to each other, but also be kind to yourself. And if you're not feeling it one day, just remind yourself you're a boss-ass bitch. And you know what? I, you know, sometimes I just say, just pretend. Who, who's going to know? Just pretend. Walk into the room like you're the flyest one there. And who's going to know that you ain't? And who cares? Get your wine. Let's get into the motherfucking mystery. So I'm doing something a little different this episode. I'm um, recapping an episode of 2020. So you just let me know if you like this kind of thing. I love the these uh, Dateline type 2020s. Now, I want to remind you that I make episodes that are intended to not poke fun at victims, their families, or take their grief lightly, but I'm trying to just make you laugh and find the corny humor in things, okay? The episode is called, I Have Been Watching. So the info for the episode says, the investigation into a Texas murder reveals the killer may have been watching all along. I guess they wanted to say that in case the title didn't give it away or somebody at 2020 was like, I'm tired of writing these damn captions. Let's go get lunch. The episode starts with a 911 call from July 29th, 2016. It's 1.40 a.m. and A.J. Armstrong is 16 years old. He's calling 911 reporting gunshots that he says he hears coming from his parents' room. He's whispering on the phone, saying he needs to get to his 12-year-old sister, Kayra, and you hear him whisper, how did you get into our house? Kayra remembers him coming to wake her up, and you can hear him doing this still on the phone with 911. He tells her, you know, get up, um, hurry, and just walk behind me. So a little after that, he sees police lights outside um, and they're at the front door. So he actually has to disarm the alarm to let the police in and to get outside. So just remember that. Outside, there's tons of cops and ambulance, and the oldest brother, Josh, is there. He lived a few blocks away with his girlfriend. Um, AJ had called him to you know tell him what what was going on he starts freaking out we hear from his girlfriend and she's like yeah he he woke me up he's freaking out you know he's like we gotta go we gotta go so then we hear from aj's aunt and some other family members he had called they said you know he was hysterical and telling them that the police were there and he had called the police because he heard gunshots from his parents bedroom so at this point this is all we know and all AJ and his family know. So he called the police after hearing gunshots, and now police are there, and he's outside, and he doesn't know anything that's going on, you know. But by 3 a.m., there is yellow tape on the house, and the family says they know that that wasn't a good sign. After police search the house, they find there's no sign of forced entry. They remind us the alarm system was still activated. You know, AJ had to deactivate it to get out. And to let the police in. Unfortunately, they find no one in the house other than parents. <laughs> Sorry. Unfortunately, they find no one in the house other than parents, Dawn and Antonio. Uh, they had been shot with pillows over their heads as if whoever shot them didn't want to see their face. Dawn was deceased, but Antonio was still breathing, um, although he wasn't doing well. Police separated AJ and Kara. They take Kara to a police car, and she's asking what's going on, and that's when they tell her her mom has passed away and her dad is going to the hospital, and he might not make it. 
they taped brown bags over her hands and asked her not to take them off. And this was to protect any evidence. I get that. But just uh, uh, Kara, if I didn't mention, is 12 years old. Her brother's just woken her up in the middle of the night saying, you know, just follow me. Come outside. She has no idea what's going on. Immediately, police put brown bags taped over her hands and tell her that at least one of her parents are dead. And she says, you know, she remembers I was crying, obviously, and I couldn't even wipe tears away from my face because I had these damn bags on my hands. It's just so sad. AJ's hands also get bagged, and but they immediately handcuff him, and he's in the back of a police car. When police continue searching the house, they find a pistol on the kitchen counter, and beside it, there's a pen with a note that says, I have been watching for a long time. You see the note, and it was scribbled, really messy. It looked, looked like it had been like written over a couple times. And then at the top of the page, it said, come get me. Police go upstairs, and they see a strange burn mark on the carpet. We kind of get back to that later, but there's not much said about it. It doesn't seem of importance, but police bring it up to AJ later like it is. Just you know. Police are saying it was AJ who shot his parents, and by this time, this is what the news is reporting. Like They're like, okay, we're going to take this and run with it. But his family, you know, you hear from them, and they're saying there's just no way. He just wasn't that kind of guy. You know, he's a 16-year-old baby, you know. So, anyway, the episode speeds up to 2019, and they're doing an interview with AJ, saying this is the first of many interviews they do with him and his legal team. He's asked, of course, about the night, and he says, you know, I was shocked. I felt angry. I felt sad. And, I mean, all of these things I can imagine would be very confusing. He's a 16-year-old boy, scared to death, so he calls 911, finds out at least one of his parents had died, and he's immediately being questioned about it. We then hear from his grandmother, and I hate that word, so I was going to call her Mamaw, but then later you hear AJ call her Nanny, and everybody else is calling her Miss Kay. She's just a southern older lady who looks like she makes a mean banana pudding, you know. She seems so sweet, and I wish I could hear her laugh because it seems like it would be like a good long belly laugh, you know, one of the good ones. But she just talks about AJ and her whole family, really. You can tell she's just so, has so much pride in her family. She says she's at the hospital but just can't imagine why AJ would be in custody, and, you know, she starts thinking she needs to get a lawyer. They have a family attorney named Chris, who was also a friend of Antonio's. So he comes to the hospital, and we hear from him, too. He says as soon as he got off the elevator, he saw the entire waiting room was just full of people who loved the family. And he starts to get emotional and says Antonio Antonio was on a ventilator, and so he knew he had to tell him goodbye. And he's just crying and so emotional. I hate seeing people cry, but you could just, it breaks your heart. We hear more about the Armstrong family and how special they were and then get a little backstory on the family. So I like these 2020 episodes or even Dateline episodes where like the beginning is just, you know, kind of like all of this stuff like kind of lays it out for you right then. But then, uh, you know, after after a little bit, they start going into the family and it's like they have play that exciting music and 
you know, everything's good for a minute. So that's how this was. After high school, Dad Antonio went to Texas A&M, and he played football. He was named defensive player of the game in the 1994 Cotton Bowl against Notre Dame. I have no idea what that means, but it sounded pretty awesome. He was then drafted to the San Francisco 49ers. We love that for you. And then, like, later he played for the Miami Dolphins. We then find out Mamaw Kay was a pastor, and that's how Dawn and Antonio met. Dawn came to Miss Kay's church one Sunday, and uh, they meet each other there. So then we hear from Dawn's dad, Keith, for just a second. Keith makes a very small appearance, um, but Keith is not playing around with this interview he said let me get my good hat it's a black hat with a white stripe he's got his black blazer with the white pin stripes and a black velvet t-shirt underneath okay we see you keith he spoke so fondly of dawn and just looked so proud of her it was just it was a good moment to shed some light on dawn so Don and Antonio meet, and he basically adopts her son, Josh, as his own. Josh was a baby at the time they meet and actually didn't learn Antonio was not his birth father until he was 16 years old. Don and Antonio went on to have two children, Kara and AJ. They were both just really great hands-on parents. AJ really respected his dad and wanted to follow in his footsteps and play football. Then we see Antonio on a video he had made for his business, First Class Training. He had opened a few gyms um, named this after his pro football career was over. So he's got these gyms. They live in a nice neighborhood in Houston. And Memal K reminds us how big of a deal this is as Antonio had come from Cashmere Garden. And she was just so proud of him. She's like, uh, what? The kids were going to a private school and things were really going well for them there for a little bit. So they cut back to five hours after the shooting and AJ is then being interrogated. They go over his rights and explain to him that he does not have to answer anything he doesn't want to. And he agrees to this. They read him his rights and have him read them back to them. You know, they were just really upfront about what his rights were and how little or how much he wanted to talk by himself and he's like no I don't I don't need anything I don't need a lawyer or anything I'm just going to tell you what I what you need to know at this point he doesn't really see himself as a suspect <clears throat> he just wants to help as much as he can Mamaw's like AJ why would you do that and he says nanny what did I need counsel or attorney for I just wanted to answer any questions they had he just didn't think that he did anything wrong we hear the interrogation video, and they start by asking how his relationship is with his parents. And he's just saying, you know, we were all really close. I was really close to my mom. I was really close to my dad. We had, you know, disagreements, but they were just family, normal family fights. But nothing recent, no problems or issues. They're wanting a timeline, and AJ says, okay, well, my parents got home around 5 and then went to a friend's event and after that, they were home around 8. He had went to pick his sister up from somewhere, and they were back around 9 or 10. And that's when they set the alarm to the house. Kara says there seemed to be nothing different in the way AJ was acting. He seemed his normal, happy self. They get home, and Don and Antonio are laying in their bed watching TV. AJ says he was upstairs in his room watching Netflix, and then around 1 or 2, he was ready to go to bed. He went to use the restroom, and when he came out, he heard a door open downstairs, and he hadn't been feeling well that day, so he goes down there thinking it was 
uh, one of his parents, and that he was going to ask them if they could get him some medicine. By the time he starts heading down the stairs, that's when he hears the gunshots. He says he hears two, but maybe three shots, and goes on to say, I just started to feel bad because I saw the guy, and I feel like I should have done something. Dun, dun, dun. Police don't like this because they say that he should have mentioned this before. Why didn't he say that when police were there? Um, You know, all that. And so they're like, wait, did you physically see somebody? And he says, yeah, I saw him running. They're like, well, what did he look like? He says, well, they had a mask on and you could only see the eyes and mouth, but looked like a black guy, maybe around six feet tall. This seems weird again to them because he had not said anything about this man on the 911 call either. His attorney is saying, you know, I see the point, um, but this is also a 16-year-old, and this is a really scary incident. And then we're reminded that on the 911 call, AJ actually does say, how did you get in our house? When he was whispering and about to go get his sister. So maybe he was just thinking himself to himself, like, how did this person get into our house gosh police had determined the gun used to shoot the armstrongs did belong to dad antonio so in questioning aj they ask if his dad owns a gun he says yes he does do you know what kind i think it's a 22 pistol the only time i've ever used it is when i was like eight at a gun range so we then learned from one of the investigators that when searching the parents bedroom they found a bullet hole in the ceiling and that bullet hole actually came from upstairs in AJ's bedroom. When I heard that, I was like, <gasps> and not only that, but they find that the bullet hole was hidden under like a big, uh, like big pile of socks. Yeah. AJ's like, okay, well, I can explain that. Me and my friend, about two or three weeks ago, were just playing around. And AJ asked his friend if he had ever shot a gun. And he's like, no. And he says, well, do you want me to show you? And he got the gun from under his dad's bed. And then um, accidentally the gun went off into the floor. That's how the bullet hole's there. But that was like two to three weeks ago. His parents knew about it. And he got in trouble for it. But anytime your story starts to change with police, it does become a little suspicious, right? So, of course, this goes on further into pointing fingers at AJ. And even though he just lost his parents and it's really frustrating and, you know, sad for him, they don't give a shit, you know. So there's a woman in a blue suit and she keeps feeding us a bunch of bullshit the whole episode. She's the one that found the bullet hole in the floor. So they also say that it's really weird that AJ, you know, they're like, you weren't very upset on the phone. You were very calm when you were calling 911. And AJ's like, you can ask the police who were there at the house. I was definitely not okay. And I only got calm again because my brother Josh was there and he was calming me down. And he says, you know, at this point, I didn't even know what had happened. I didn't know if they were dead. I didn't know if they were even still home. I didn't know anything that had happened. Gosh. And then they're like, well, the 911 call was about 16 minutes long. And then seven minutes into the call, you can hear AJ whisper. And he says, it's all my fault. He explains that he felt that way because he did see the intruder and he felt like he could have stopped him. But it does, of course, raise the eyebrows that were already raised. So now they're raised even further, you know. 
AJ says, you know, I know that this doesn't look good. And the police say, well, not only does it not look good, it just does not make sense. And he's continuing to say, you know, I had nothing to do with this. Maybe once my dad wakes up, you can ask him and he's going to tell you I had nothing to do with this. And that's when we learned that they took Antonio off of life support and he had passed away from his wounds also. You hear again from the family, and it's so sad. Mama Kay, I just love her. And then after the interrogation with police, AJ is booked as a juvenile on capital murder. And then we see surveillance video from one of Antonio's gyms, and it's two masked people. I want to say that they're young men because that's kind of what they look like, but I guess I can't really say that. Allegedly, they look like two young men and they threw a brook through the uh, window go in and it seems as though they're looking for something specific there's like a lot of things around that they could have taken but the only thing they take is a computer this happens while aj is in uh juvenile detention so you know it, they know it has nothing to do with him but his defense team feels as though it could be related And I agree, allegedly. So then we hear from AJ's girlfriend, Kay, and he calls her my girl. And I just love when people say that. He's like, that's my girl. And they had been together since seventh grade. And then we hear from Kate's mom, and she's like, you just could not have asked for a better boyfriend for your daughter, even at that age. She's like, he was just so respectful, so kind, so good to her. And they loved him. They took him... As their own, really. So Kate says, you know, I was texting AJ that night. Or at first they were having a phone call. And she says she could hear his parents in the background. Everybody seemed fine. Everybody was goofing off and laughing. And then after they got off the phone, they just continued to text throughout the night. He was, you know, doing his little Netflix and texting. She says, you know, the next morning I wake up and I was trying to get in contact with him he wasn't answering her text or phone calls and we find you know we know that that's because he was in juvenile detention and then uh kate's mom is like well then we turn on we go in the living room the tv's on and we see him on the news getting arrested and she's just shocked to her core literally the next morning he's on tv they're throwing his name around saying that he killed his parents i just can't believe that We hear again from Kate, and she's emotional, saying, you know, I just can't imagine how he feels. He's trying to mourn the loss of his parents and also being accused of the one that killed them. So we hear about the funeral then for Dawn and Antonio, and, you know, they're like, if you want to see how much the community and how many people loved Dawn and Antonio, just look up the funeral. Like, it was supposed to be at a church, and they had to move it to a bigger venue because they couldn't fit everyone. Everybody was there to mourn them. And um, they asked AJ, you know, were you allowed to go? And he said, yeah, luckily. That's just one thing that I'm so lucky that I got to do. And he was in the front row. He was handcuffed and had his jacket over it. So it wasn't like so obvious. But I can't imagine being at my, like, Kara in the police car without your hands to wipe your tears with. You're at your parents' funeral. And he says, you know, I was just looking into the caskets at two, two people my parents that I love and I'm never going to be able to see again. I'm never going to be able to talk again. It's 
heartbreaking. I can't. I can't imagine. You can't take the handcuffs off a 16-year-old for his parents' funeral. He's going to go back to juvenile detention. I keep calling it. I don't know if that's what it's called. I want to say juvenile prison, but I guess that's not it. I don't know. But gosh. Mamaw Kay's up at the funeral and she says, If you don't mind, just touch the person next to you and tell him, you know, this isn't a funeral. It's a celebration of life. And you got to love her. I love her. They ask AJ, you know, how was it in there? How often did you get to see the outside? And he says, there was no outside. We didn't get to go outside at all. We had a little window in our cell, um, and I would look out there, but I didn't get to go outside. And for a murderer, I'm sure that that's fitting, and I hope that they do that. But this was just a little 16-year-old boy. If you're not following me, I don't think he did it. It's so sad. So he's just thinking about his sister in there. He's like, I know what I was dealing with emotionally, um, but I just can't imagine what a 12-year-old would be feeling in this. She's lost both of her parents, and now her brother is being accused of the murder, and she knows that I had nothing to do with it. So police then tell the family, you know, we're going to send this gunshot residue off to get tested what was brown bagged you know over his hands we just want to warn you because this is going to come back positive we're 100 percent sure about that but if it doesn't by chance we'll let him go and he can be free and the family members are like you know they told us that but that's not what happened so shocker the tests come back and there was no gunshot residue on his hands none on his clothes no blood splatter none on kara's hands no blood splatter um his attorney aj's attorneys are like you know i had him i asked because they had said you know well he he had plenty of time to go wash it off or had plenty of time to go change clothes well his attorneys say did you find any water or soap in the water pipes? And they're like, uh, no, we didn't find anything there. And he's like, okay, did you find any clothes that um, could have been changed? No, we didn't find any of those. And the woman in blue who's been feeding bullshit the whole time, she's obviously on the prosecutor's side. And she's like, well, they could have been wearing gloves could have um changed clothes did you find any gloves no did you find any water in the water pipe what are they called did you find any water in the sink soap in the sink no no um she says you know it's a lucky find if you get it but but it doesn't mean that the crime wasn't committed just because there's no gsr honey we know what gsr means even though i had to think about it for a minute it's gunshot residue okay we get it You didn't find any, but you still think that he did it. What's the reason? What's the reason? Also, the note was on a piece of paper clearly torn out from like a to-do list found in your kitchen junk drawer. Does everybody have one of those? Because I do. At the new year, I cleaned. uh, Not only did I have one, honey, I had two. And I cleaned one of them out on New Year's, okay? And I felt good about that, so... Anyway, you know, you find your to-do list and a pen in the drawer. The drawers were open. No fingerprints of AJ's were on the pen or on the notepad. Lady in blue, I don't like you. So back to the blood spatter, there's another analyst. Analyst? It might be the lady in blue that I don't like, but she says, you know, you don't always get blood splatter 
in a murder, you know, you, you there's things you can do. You can wash clothes. You can clean them. You can clean up um, the crime scene. Lady in Blue, they were shot. And so there would be blood splatter unless they were aliens or something. So you're saying there's no fingerprints, no blood splatter, no gunshot residue. But all of these things have a reason why they could not be there. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it don't. Well, sometimes it only not happens because they're an alien and they were not. They were humans. And when in this time would a 16-year-old have had time to do a full load of laundry, wash, dry, and put away, get bleach, clean up the blood crime scene, clean it up, get rid of everything, done, then call 911. I mean, it don't make fucking sense to me. And he's 16. He wouldn't be that smart anyway. His family's saying, you know, for you to have no evidence in the crime scene, the only thing left would be for you to put the gun in his hand. And they don't have that. So then we find out, well, AJ was failing. Um, They found out he was smoking weed. They ask him about this. He's like, I was just a dumb 16-year-old kid. Like, what do you, like, what do you want from me? <laughs> Kim, you know, why were you failing? He's like, well, I had just gotten a car. I turned 16. The only focus I had was on football and my girlfriend. And I was just having fun. And, and prosecutor's like, well, this didn't fly with Dawn and Antonio. So in the interview, he's like, uh, the interviewer is like, you know, you were failing, so your parents pulled you out of the public school. Were you upset about that? And he's like, you know, no, sir. He says, sir, like he's just a respectable young man, okay? He says, no, sir, I wasn't upset because I knew that it was my fault. I'm the one that let things get to that. I've been raised in a way where that shouldn't have happened, and I realized that it was my fault that I let my grades slip and I didn't have school as my top priority at the time. I wasn't upset about being pulled from my public or my private school because I wanted to go to a public school called Lamar. He says they had like a really prestigious football team. Is that the right word? Prestigious. They had a good football team and he wanted to get on there. So, no, he wasn't upset that he left his private school and his friends, which would be hard. But he was excited because they have a good football team and that was one of his main priorities, okay? So this turns into motive from police. Um, He was failing. He got pulled out of his fancy private school. He was smoking pot. You know, he was just a terrible kid. They're saying, well, your parents made you do all of this, so that would give you a reason to shoot them and lie about it and not have any evidence about it. So we're back to the break-in at Antonio's gym, and AJ's lawyers are like, you know, this could be connected. They were looking for one thing. It's people breaking into a place. There's plenty of other technology and things that they could have stolen. They only went for one thing. They were looking for something specific. This has to be connected to something, right? Prosecutors are like, well, this was an urban area, um, so break-ins and things like that weren't really necessarily uncommon so we're not looking into that it has nothing to do with this we're going to lunch so um these two people were never caught there was never any investigation into the matter and his aj's defense team is like well this this is just like tunnel vision you have someone already in custody 
for the murders. There is no other suspect that you have, so you're only looking at one person. Duh. The woman the <laughs> the woman in blue says, to my knowledge, it was thoroughly investigated and there was no connection that could have been made to the break-in at Antonio's gym and the murder of Antonio. At this time, we're eight months into AJ being in um, juvenile prison or whatever you want to call it. He spends Christmas there. He's spending his junior year there. And he's like, you know, not only was that hard for me, it was hard for my family. They're mourning the deaths also, just as I am. And it was just, it was hard on everybody. His case then got transferred to adult court. So he was able to post bail. And he enters a plea of not guilty. And when he's released from custody, he goes to live with Memal K. We see like 2020 videos um, of him. They've been doing this for a long time. Like they followed AJ at, they at or the um, investigation at the beginning. They're seeing AJ halfway. This is about the halfway mark. Um, he's talking and he's at Grandma K's and he's saying, uh, "This is my ankle monitor. I'm obviously on house arrest. It's his junior year in high school, and he's like, I can't do anything. I just try to stay off social media also because listen." Social media is terrible nowadays, especially, but especially for kids. And I can't imagine what all was being said. I'm sure that he had some supporters, but I'm sure he had a lot of hate on there, too. Just people wanting clout, you know, wanting to start a podcast probably about it. Fuckers. So it's 2019. By the time he's having this interview with 2020 with his ankle monitor, the murders happened in 2016. He was arrested and let go in 2018. So he's had the ankle monitor on for a year. You hear from Kara and she's like, you know, it's sad. He can't go past the mailbox. He's just, I've got a baby crying upstairs. Dad's up there. Just saying, just so you know. But I hate hearing that. Should I go up there? Everything okay? Everything good? No answer. I'll just text him. <clears throat> Where were we? So getting ready for trial, um, prosecutors are sending AJ's attorneys all of their files that they have. And they stumble upon one from a... They um, get a recording from an interview with a Maxine Adams. Maxine Adams and her husband were friends of the Armstrong family. The husband was like good friends with Antonio. The family says they grew up together and they were really close. Basically, in the interview with Maxine Adams, she says, I believe Antonio was part of a prostitution ring. I think that he was targeted. That's why he was murdered. So she's saying that her husband was also part uh, with Antonio on the prostitution ring. She's saying that it's related. She felt like she was pushing and pushing her husband for answers once she had put some things together and she was afraid that if she kept pushing that she would end up like Antonio so that's why she came to police okay they ask her do you think that this is connected to the murders and she says yes absolutely I think this is connected to the murders mind you this is 
2019 that we're in and she done she had done this interview in 2016 or close to right after the murders so the police had this information had this recording had this interview never showed anyone never investigated into the so-called prostitution ring i hate to say that about antonio if it's not true i don't know if it's true but the police never disclosed it to AJ's attorneys, never looked into it, never investigated anything else. So not only did they not try to investigate further to find the real criminal, they didn't try to eliminate a 16-year-old who's been spending a lot of his life in juvenile prison and now prison. They didn't report it to anyone This woman went there to them with this because, like she said, she was pushing and she was afraid that she was going to end up just like Antonio. So you're denying her the safety as well. When Mim L.K. finds out about this information, she's like, well, that's a lie. The only thing that I'm upset about is that you had this information and you sat on it. But the judge says, thank goodness, I want to hear more about this. This seems suspicious to her as well. So Maxine Adams comes to court and she testifies. The woman in blue is back again and she says, well, everything was looked into um, for the accusations about the prostitution ring and all that. um, But it didn't seem relevant to the case. So, the prosecution is obviously like, well, if it wasn't AJ, then who? And his attorneys. And throughout this, I was like, I wonder if it's just his attorneys. You never hear really about what AJ thinks of this, but the attorneys are saying someone with mental health issues, someone who knows the house inside and out, um, very close to the family, would have put darkly the pillows over their head before they shot him. They are now looking at older brother Josh. So now they're looking at, well, he was never in the house. They're looking at now the alarm system. And not only did they have that, they had, I guess, like these little things up near the ceiling that would track movement in the house. So that would go off also anytime anyone stepped in front of them. There was one upstairs by AJ's bedroom. They're saying these sensors are important because it tracks the movement of the killer. Then they're saying that the bullet hole that they had found where AJ said, you know, I was playing around with the gun with my friend and he had never shot one. So we shot it. They're saying, well, that was a test fire. The only thing they're going off of is what they are calling a motive for a what they call out-of-control teenager. He was a 16-year-old smoking pot and failing grades. That's not a motive to kill your parents. I can tell you that for a fact. (laughs) So the prosecutors in trial really go through text messages with AJ and his mom. AJ's mom had been texting him, you're fooling us, you're a liar, I know that you came home late last night, you know, all of these things. His attorneys are saying, well, of course, they only put together the things that would make AJ look bad. There wasn't any anything else that they presented to the jurors. So, again, prosecutors are saying, well, if it wasn't AJ, then who was it? And his team is saying maybe it was Josh, the older brother. Remember, he lived with his girlfriend just around the block. 
He knew the house inside and out. He had mental health issues. So then we hear a little bit about Josh's background. So he had went off to school. Remember, he found out that Antonio wasn't his actual biological father by the time he was 16. He went off to college, and then when he returned, um, it's remembered that he had lost a lot of weight. He was uh, just not in a good headspace as he was before. So we hear even from the family that Josh had been through his trials and that he was just not doing very well. And we hear from Josh's girlfriend. I'm not here to judge, okay? But she sounds like she's one cereal off from the Fruit Loop. She's one step away from Cuckoo Land. She sounds like she just hit the bong and said King Kong. You know what I'm saying? She's like, well, they were asking me about that night. Um, Josh left while I was asleep. And I'm like, well, she says they were asking me about the night Josh left. And yeah, I was asleep, but I'm a light sleeper. So I could have totally seen or I could have totally known when if he had left. So somehow no one calls Josh to come testify. No one gets him to come to court. And the prosecutors conclude that he's not a viable suspect. How? I don't know. Prosecutors are back to AJ saying, well, the motive is that you have these two people dead who had taken away his car, his freedom, his access to his girlfriend, his access to football. And then they were killed. So who else could have done it? So it's time for the jury to decide, and they come back. It's eight to four. Four people think that he didn't do it. Eight people think that he did. So it's uh, declared a mistrial. So AJ gets to go home, but his attorneys are, you know, they're saying it's disappointing. Of course, are we happy that he didn't get guilty? Yes, but it still gives no answer to the family or to him. So Ma'am OK says, uh-huh, yeah, well, I'm ready for the next one. I'm, I was asking how fast we could get it done. We could go next month and I'll be ready. So we fast forward to 2021. 2020 is back with AJ interviewing him. He um, has had a son with his girlfriend since seventh grade, and he's about to go on trial again. He knows that now he has so much to live for like he's like my dad got taken away from me at a young age i really don't want to do that to my son by having to go to jail for something i didn't do um 2020s just interviewing him there's footage of the family they look really happy but i can't imagine how that would feel just knowing that you know the next time you have to go to court might be the last time you see your son or be able to hug him i don't know aj goes back into court Knowing all of this, AJ says he's been on house arrest for 1,603 days, and I don't have time to do that math, but that's a long-ass time. So in the interview, AJ is talking about Josh. He says, well, Josh is Josh. We don't really see much of him. He's just doing his thing. Listen, I'm not saying Josh is the killer. I'm just, should I leave this till the end? I don't know. Josh He's not coming around his family. He had motive that AJ didn't have. I'm sorry. You're a 16-year-old who's smoking pot and gets bad grades, so you're pulled out of your school. That's not a reason to kill your family that you love. Josh found out that 
Antonio was not his biological father. I'm sure he had some feelings about that. He only lived a block away, had access to the house, had knowledge of the house inside and out, wouldn't have had to break in because they know him. It's Josh that, uh, you know, deletes the force entry motive. I don't know. I don't feel, I don't know why he wasn't looked more into is all. I just want him to be looked into more. And at this time, MLK says, I don't really know what's going on with Josh. I know that he's getting mental health treatment. I know that in his right mind, he's sweet and he's nice. For the second trial, AJ's team is the same, but the prosecution side is totally different. They have every, every, they have a lot of new people in there. Okay. Nobody from the last one. But the prosecution is still saying, well, the alarm system, the alarm system, the alarm system is the star evidence of the crime. So prosecution says, you know that he's on his phone all the time. He was saying that he was texting his girlfriend. But at 102, all activity on the phone stops. Then at 108, the phone is taken off of the charger. And there's only one reason why you would unplug your phone. It's because you're on the move, right? So after that, the sensor goes off, and then there is no activity until AJ calls 911. Prosecutors say during this time, the phone is still locked, but the display is going on and off. And they say that this is because he was using it as a flashlight to get around the house. Well, AJ's attorneys um, bring up the fact that Brother Josh had been taken to the hospital for psychotic breaks or whatever. He had actually said that he saw his parents getting killed one time, Antonio and Don. But once again, Josh doesn't take the stand. So the prosecution is saying, no, these things happened after the murders. So those would have brought on this schizophrenia that Josh was having. And the Dimbo girlfriend of Josh says, well, he was like super paranoid after the murders. I've never seen anyone more paranoid in my life. Luck would have it that the the jury couldn't come to another agreement the second time. And it was before it was... Eight that thought AJ did it, four that thought he didn't. This second trial, it was eight that thought he didn't do it, and four that thought he did it. So it was another mistrial. Um, AJ's attorneys planned to go back to trial. Uh, at the end of the episode, they said it was early this year. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, I think that they have good motive for brother josh and i don't want to point fingers at him if he didn't do it his dumb head girlfriend says you know this has ruined his life well this has ruined aj's life it's ruined all of the family's life but aj has been mourning the death of his parents with everyone thinking that he is the reason they're dead i just can't imagine now he has a son he's still as respectable as always and he has more to live for. And that makes it harder for him, he said. I, like I said before, I don't think AJ committed the murders. It is hard to wrap your head around that. The alarm system and 
the fact that there's no other fingers to point at anyone else other than the two people who broke into the gym looking for one thing that was what they said woman in blue said was insufficient or wasn't didn't have anything to do with this you know blah 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 blah. i mean once again the only motive they have is a 16 year old boy who got his car taken away and he got pulled from private school he wasn't upset about any of those things he said that he took the blame he knew that it was his fault but that's it because there's no there's nobody else to point the finger on brother josh who is in my eyes you know a candidate for the murder would have had all of these opportunities, all of this knowledge to carry out the murder. So I don't know. I'm upset that there wasn't like a a final resolution, I guess. But it is Mother Mystery, right? Let me know what you think. I love you. You're beautiful. Bye.